and welcome to CIA Files, True Stories of U.S. Intelligence. I'm your host, Topher M. Ford. Got our co-host, Brandon Givens, uh, currently trekking through Istanbul at the moment. Is that right, Brandon? That is true. Yep, so, yeah, you're awesome. on a little funny because you're, uh, I'm assuming, in a hotel room or something. Uh, I'm in a hotel restaurant, but I'm the only person in here right now, so yeah, that works out. Awesome. Um, how's the uh, the summer uh, travels going? Uh, so far, pretty good. Um, we've been ple- uh, pretty much sleeping all day today. It rained, but uh, we got here on the first, and we walked and walked and walked and walked, and uh, we we saw a whole lot of the, the city. We went and saw the old well, we still, not still there, the, the Greek patriarch or patriarch, and um, we kind of got off the beaten path, but down some neighborhoods, and we've had a lot of stray cats. That's been awesome, and stray dogs and uh, that's been like one of the best things with all the, the animals and uh, we fly off to Poland tomorrow oh wow yeah that's interesting because we just got a new dog um, oh. a little a pit bull puppy named Luna she's um, not puppy sized she's you know kind of big but she's going to get much bigger but she has too much energy much too <laughs> much energy and too old All right, well, so today we are going to discuss the the official CIA Manual of Trickery and Deception. And I didn't plan this, but it's uh, interesting because it vaguely sort of ties into some big uh, news that happened recently, that being the assassination of the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Uh, he died on Friday. Uh, today is Sunday, July 10th, by the way. But he died on Friday after being shot in the back while giving a campaign speech on the streets of Japan. Um, and it's it's sort of related because the assassin, a 41-year-old man uh, named Tetsuya Yamagami, uh used an improvised homemade gun because gun laws in Japan, you know, are much stricter than they are in America. So uh, he built his own and it is an insane gun that looks like it came out of a video game. Um, and he apparently, uh, this is according to CNN, Yamagami made multiple types of guns with iron pipes that were wrapped in adhesive tape Japan's public broadcaster NHK reported, citing the police. The police found guns with three, five, and six iron pipes as barrels. The suspect inserted bullets into his handmade gun, parts of which he had bought online, police said. Police believe the suspect was using the strongest weapon he made in the assassination. And we won't get too much into the details of the assassination, but, um, yeah, the gun, if you've seen pictures of it, yeah, it looks like it was out of... It reminds me of the Fallout video games, especially in New <laughs> Vegas, um, where you'll see, you know, homemade, improvised stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, a, an, it's an insane story. Uh, even though we're not really covering current events anymore, we would be remiss not to mention this anyway, because it would be, I think, a, com- a comparable event... That, here in America might be if like George W. Bush was shot on the street while giving a speech, you know, it would be pretty crazy. 
Yeah, I'm curious about his motivation. Yeah, I'm curious oh, about well, the guy's motivation. I can't find anything myself yet. Well, the the reason that uh, I keep saying say, so, the Japanese police are being very stingy with information about it, but um, they did say that he assassinated Abe because he believed that Abe was linked to a religious organization that his that kind of sucked his mother in um people are guessing and it seems like the best guess is that it's the unification church officially now known as the family federation for world peace and unification uh otherwise known as the moonies ah uh, that's like that sounds uh, like the moonies yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh founded by sun young moon um yeah, we don't even have we don't have <laughs> near enough time to get into them. They're a crazy group. Um, I think I, I could be wrong about this, so people can correct me if I am. But it sort of seems almost uh, to be like analogous to uh, hard right evangelicals here in America. It is. It is. I don't uh, think yeah. they're Christians. Uh, uh, they're, they're, uh... Well, I mean, saying they're not Christians is kind of like saying Mormons aren't Christian, and you know, I mean, and yeah, you that's, are, that's what I say. I don't like, know a lot about the Moonies. I think that uh, Christ and Christianity has worked into it, uh, so, but yeah, I don't know enough about the Moonies well, other than Mammon. They've Mammon had... loves them. <laughs> Mammon Mam loves. Yeah, yeah, we can do a Mammon episode. Uh, violent creatures. We can we can circle back to the Moonies at some point, but the basic premise is that Yamagami's mother had, you know, given almost all of her money to this religious group that a lot of people consider a cult, and he believed that Shinzo Abe was a prominent member of that of the religious group, and that's why he shot him. So. That, I mean, you know, and at this point, it's kind of speculation because, like I said, the Japanese police are not forthcoming with too much information. So it's well, a it, lot of people it, connecting dots, but it makes sense. It tracks. Well, it, it connects to the Zygus we're seeing, like the the blowing up of those um, stones in Georgia and the, oh, these the elite people. Right. Yeah, and these, oh, these elite people have a secret cult and, uh and there's there's a lot of paranoia and misinformation, and people are being accused yeah, of being yeah. in groups that they're not in. But you know, so there's there's this whole people are frustrated, scared, they don't know what to believe, and that's not working out very well. No, it's not. It's it seems to be a bit of a global phenomenon, um, which is not great. It's kind of a bummer, but. The whole uh, reason we, well, a part of the reason why we stopped doing the um, current events is because it's big. It's been all of it's a bummer. Um, yeah. So let's get into the official CIA manual of trickery and deception. This is an interesting book. Um, you can actually, I I bought a physical copy of it, but you can go online, and we'll put a link up. Uh, on the website ciafiles.net where you can uh, go to archive.org and read the book and I think download it for free um, if you are interested in it. 
Um, Public domain. Yes. It's it's a it's a wild story. So uh, the CIA manual of trickery and deception is actually uh, two manuscripts put together. Uh, the first one is called "Some Applications of the Art of Deception," and then the other one was called "Recognition Signals." Uh, these are two manuscripts that Sidney Gottlieb, if, uh, Sidney Gottlieb, if you don't remember, he was the doctor who was head of the CIA's technical services staff, which was, you know, the spy gadgets and uh, secret devices research and development division of the CIA. So MK Ultra, if you uh, have ever heard of that, I don't know if you have. I'm kidding. Everybody knows. Anyway, MK Ultra was authorized in April 1953, and Gottlieb immediately contacted um, renowned magician John Mulholland for help. Mulholland asked for $3,000 for the task, and it was approved in the budget as MK Ultra Subproject Number Four on May Fourth, nineteen fifty-three. So he was—he was a magician. Yes, uh, John Mulholland was—he wasn't so much a world-famous magician in the way you might consider, you know, like uh, Harry Houdini or David Copperfield. He was an up-close magician. He was like a magician's magician. And he did most of his performances for, like, at parties and elite social gatherings. Um, he also wrote extensively. He had a, a periodical that he published for magicians. And his expertise in up-close magic made him particularly um, appropriate for the task. Because unlike a stage magician, you know, stage magician's going to be have a big presentation, they're going to have big uh, set pieces, and the whole idea for a stage magician is that everyone's attention is on them. CIA agents don't want that attention on them, so up-close magic, where you're, you know, like tricking people so that they don't see what you're doing, uh, that was more appropriate for what, CIA, you know, for what Gottlieb was looking for. You know, and this also, MK Ultra kind of um, in the early 50s marks this turn in American uh, methodology for, you know, like how they approach intelligence work. Um, we talked a little bit about, about that in previous episodes, how before World War II, the American government and the American military didn't like the idea of spying on people. You know, there's the famous yeah. quote, uh, gentlemen don't read each other's mail. Uh, and then World War II, and then the subsequent rise of communism and the fear of communism started changing the Americans' minds. Um, James H. Doolittle, he wrote a report for President Eisenhower in 1954, and it concluded, uh, quote, if the U.S. is to survive, longstanding American concepts of fair play must be reconsidered. We must learn to subvert, sabotage, and destroy our enemies by cleverer, more sophisticated, and more effective methods than those used against us. It may become necessary that the American people become acquainted with, understand, and support this fundamentally repugnant philosophy. So that's where, you know, because the Americans 
in charge had this notion that the Russians, that the Soviets had no morals, that the Russians were willing to do absolutely anything in their conquest, in their, uh, in their search for world domination. And that led to a lot of, it led to a big shift in the thinking of the CIA. That's why we ended up with MK Ultra and all of the atrocities that were conducted under that label. You know, it, it marked the shift towards the ends justify the means thinking in the CIA and in the government in general. Better dead than red. Better dead than red, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about the technical services staff, Gottlieb's uh, organization within the CIA. Um, they created lots of, you know, like the, the, the gadgets that you'd see in a James Bond movie. That's the stuff that they made. Um, they made uh, something called, uh, well, they made a uh, 22 caliber single shot gun, essentially, that was concealed inside a tube of toothpaste. There, uh, There's the uh, issue of President Patrice Lumumba in 1960, uh, where they, you know, had plans to assassinate him that they eventually carried out. Um, one of those plans was a tube of poisoned toothpaste that uh, a CIA officer named Larry Devlin was supposed to put in Lumumba's toiletry kit. He eventually got cold feet and he tossed the tube of toothpaste, the poison tube, into a nearby river. Uh, which I... That seems like a bad thing to do with a tube of deadly poison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's better than just, you know, tossing it in a trash can, I guess, but still. Yeah. I want, I want the gonna, oh, there's a perfectly good tube of toothpaste. Yeah, it's just like one of the, we we discussed this before when we talked about the heart attack gun, but one of the cyanide guns that the Soviets developed, the agent who was supposed to use it tossed it in a river. Uh, and the, but then he defected and told the CIA about it, and they were able to fish it out. Uh, there are, of course, in our last episode on James Angleton, part three, we talked about, uh, or at least mentioned all the different plots uh, that were proposed to kill President uh, Castro, Fidel Castro in Cuba. Um, so we've got some of these listed in, in the book here. Uh, hallucinogenic sprays and cigars. Uh, one chemist proposed spraying um, inside of Castro's radio broadcasting studio with LSD so that he would start to sound crazy while he was addressing the people. Uh, they also wanted to try to contaminate... Oh, his well, we know, we know that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, some, when someone has the support of a certain crowd, it doesn't matter what gibberish they speak. And people, people will not change their minds. They're like, oh. Yeah. Uh, the, this one is, all of these are pretty wacky. I mean, it really seemed to be like just a, a free-for-all, you know, like, no bad ideas, guys. No bad ideas. Let's just have them all. Uh, they want somebody proposed um, contaminating his boots because uh, a lot of times when Castro traveled. He would leave his boots outside his hotel room. 
so that they could be uh, shined. Uh, someone suggested uh, spraying or dusting the inside of his boots with thallium salts, which would cause his beard to fall out. Oh, <laughs> uh, like the, the only reason that plan was scrapped was because Castro canceled the trip that they planned on doing that with. Uh, of course, you know, Castro has, had his trademark cigars, and uh, they there were many plans to poison his cigars, lace them with LSD, with depilatory stuff, so his hair would fall out, and even, you know, put uh, explosion, <laughs> explosion, explosive devices on uh, the Three Stooges. Right. <laughs> like his beard fall out and the, and the cigar explode on it. Yeah. Uh, ex but it, it just keeps going. Uh, exploding seashells to put uh, on the beach because Castro liked to go diving. Uh, they wanted to, on that same uh, idea, they wanted to poison his diving suit. Uh, this one doesn't sound that, I mean, not that far-fetched. A poison pin um, that would have had a a small needle at the top. It was like a uh, a paper mate ballpoint that you had to click. And that it would have like a, a small needle on the part that you click with your thumb. Yeah. They were oh, the all over the place. Uh and, and so all these were in the book, or these are just different things that tried. Like, yeah. So, well, if you tried. so if you look through the the official manual, it's got um, like the first maybe third of it is actually uh, like a preface. Maybe maybe it's like the fourth, the first fourth of the book it is just uh, it's like commentary where uh, the author uh, the author is uh, H. Keith Melton and Robert Wallace, but they they kind of go through a brief history of, you know, the oh, difference. Oh, God, it's like when you're trying to get a recipe and they're telling you their life story. Right. <laughs> they do that for search engine optimization. They, they're just trying to get their, their, their uh, you know, their website and the, the Google results. But, yeah, it is annoying. I'm like, what? Well, if you're only doing it for search engine optimization, put that stuff at the bottom. Yeah. Like, clearly mark, here's the recipe in big, bold letters. Because you don't actually need <laughs> the audience to read all of that crap. Uh, some of the other devices that the TSS came up with, um, there is the jack-in-the-box. This was a device, so, you know, sometimes they would, especially in Moscow, uh, CIA officers would be, you know, the KGB was legendary for being able to identify and surveil U.S. spies. So they had to find ways to, you know, trick them. So one of the things that they'd often have to do is drop a person, like, you know, take someone somewhere and drop them off so they could go do something, but do that without the KGB realizing that the person had been dropped off. So they built this thing called a jack-in-the-box. So the idea is you've got a driver of the car and then another person in the passenger seat. Um, they're driving along a path, regular, you know, um do doo nobody's following us, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And they'll make a right turn. And so when they make a right turn, 
they've got like a few seconds of a gap where they can't be seen. So the idea is the person in the passenger seat rolls out of the car <laughs> and then I guess, you know, jumps into an alley or something. And in their seat is a suitcase and they pull a trigger on the suitcase and a fake head and shoulders pop up. And it Safety man. Like a little, yeah. And it had a little grip gun that they, that the driver could squeeze to make the person, make the fake person's head turn. Uh, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, a little detail. One of my favorites, of course, they made, um, there's the uh, suicide coin that uh, the pilots for the U-2 spy plane would carry, which was, um, it was like a half dollar, or maybe it was a Roosevelt dollar coin that had a little needle hidden in it, and they could push on, on a spot on the coin, and the needle would pop up, and it would have a dose of cyanide. Uh, I don't think it was ever used, but they had it, just in case, just in case you want to kill yourself. Um, another thing that they developed, the, T the uh, TSS developed, was a hidden radio so that pilots could, if they got captured, they could radio out to let people, let the CIA know where they were. And the radio was concealed in a fake scrotum. <laughs> so they would make a custom scrotum to match their pilot's skin tone and everything, and they would wear it with the idea being that the russians wouldn't want to fondle their balls when they search them so well, somebody did not do their research <laughs> yeah i mean if you think that the russians have no scruples then you know, I'm assume that they're gonna one of my favorites though was the spies leather man this is from the book um uh, the CIA created an escape and evasion suppository as a portable toolkit packed within a waterproof black plastic shell. This spy's leatherman featured nine escape tools, including wire cutters, pry bar, saw blades, drill, and reamer, packed into the four-inch long by one-inch diameter kit. And there's a picture of it in the book, but it's it looks like a... Good news! It's a suppository! It's... Four inch long <laughs> and put it in their prison pocket. Um, oh. So, you know, those are just some of the things that the uh, technical services staff cooked up on their own. Um, uh, you have to wonder what was going on in their minds with some of this. I mean, like I said, no bad ideas. You know, it's brainstorming. Let's hear them all. And then, you know, as we've mentioned before, when the CIA was first formed, they had a bottomless budget. They, you know, they could spend as much money as they wanted. So they were like, why not? Yeah. Why not build a fake scrotum with a radio in it? <laughs> so. Um, all right. So back to the manual. Uh the first manuscript, delivered in 1954, was called Some Applications of the Art of Deception. This was uh, Gottlieb invited Mulholland to suggest how the CIA might appropriate, quote, techniques and principles employed by magicians, 
mind readers, etc., to communicate information and the development of new non-electrical communication techniques. So, and that's from the from uh, the book as well. Mulholland's work for TSS continued until 1958, when his failing health from constant smoking and advancing arthritis lim limited his ability to travel and consult. End quote. Um, which is going to come into play later, because so Mulholland was a heavy smoker, as was you know, I guess almost everybody at the time. Um, and as we'll see, a lot of the tricks that he came up with involved smoking. So, um, a lot of, you know, like a lot, so a lot of the tricks involved how to dose a person with a tablet or a powder or a liquid. And so a lot of that involved uh, striking a match so that you could, you know, there may, maybe you have a pill attached to the back of a matchbook that you could drop into someone's drink, or maybe the smoke from the match will distract a person so you can do something else uh, while their attention is diverted. Um, and they actually had to, like, develop new tricks as time went on, and more people were non-smokers. Uh, so... You gotta smoke for your country. Yeah. Uh, Mulholland also describes how that an agent could develop facial expressions to make themselves appear dumb. Um, yeah, so there was some acting involved in this, which, you know, makes sense because magicians often have to act. He wrote in the manuscript, quote, A sudden alertness on the part of the performer causes wariness on the part of the spectator. The opposite of an alert appearance is a stupid one. Assuming a mildly stupid appearance during a trick will give the appearance of disinterest. Naturally, this should be done to a mild degree, for suddenly having an imbecilic expression also is warranted to attract attention. Stupidity, stupidity in appearance is affected by relaxing the facial muscles and throwing the eyes out of focus. To learn to relax the facial muscles, one should practice in front of a mirror. So uh, that's just <laughs> I don't a, love that. a little snippet. What's that? Just how to look dumb. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. encourage was that art of war? You know, you want to encourage your enemy to underestimate you. Yes. Um. He also described methods to hide and deliver uh, tablets. Uh, also, how to deliver powders. One method for powders involved removing the rubber eraser from a pencil and hollowing out a section of it, so you could pull the eraser out and drop the powder in somebody's drink or whatnot. Of course, he also uncovered hiding and delivering liquids as well, which would be especially helpful for MK Ultra officers trying to dose people with LSD. <laughs> Some of these de delivery methods used uh, a wallet or other everyday items, but like I mentioned earlier, a lot of them relied on cigarettes. Uh, these methods included uh, small liquid containers and matchbooks, in the end of cigarettes, and there's even a, and they have drawings uh, of a lot of the things in the book. There's even a specially made cigarette pack that would have a container inside of it of liquid with a little spray nozzle on its bottom. Uh, he also covered uh, pickpocketing techniques, and I guess uh, what you'd call reverse pickpocketing techniques, where 
an agent could plant an item, maybe a small listening device on a target. Um, another thing I found interesting was he wrote uh, a fair amount in the first manuscript about uh, women and how female agents, uh, you know, like need to adapt the tricks or, you know, maybe come up with uh, different methods. Um, and uh, so he, Mulholland writes about how women can use men's assumptions about them to their advantage, like a man assuming a woman can't readily understand complex situations or, a or that a woman isn't capable of certain types of deception. He points out that it's often easier for a woman to play dumb because men are already primed to believe that they're dumb. Uh, he also notes that male agents should take special care when trying to deceive women because they're more likely to think ahead, whereas a male target is more likely to be engrossed in whatever actions the agent is performing in the moment. Um, <laughs> it's basically yeah, saying, so uh, women, women are smart guys, harder than you. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely some instances, because this book was written in 1953, so there are some instances where he make, he he falls into the same trap that he mentions, of, you know, of underestimating women or making assumptions about them. Uh, but at the same time, he points out that, like, he's like, from personal experience, I can tell you that women are not nearly as stupid as men seem to think they are. Um, uh, he, he He's written some of the, um, here's some of his uh, writings on women. Quote, Women are not as apt to slouch in their chairs as are men, and so do not have to worry about having to avoid that attention arresting weakness. But women do fidget, even though they have their own way of doing so. Constantly patting hair, feeling earrings, or similar feminine actions attract attention to the individual and should not be done. Uh, on the uh, notion of men being not as smart as women, he said, quote, while the pose of lack of knowledge will be readily accepted as fact by a man, such a pose is apt to be suspected by another woman. This point is also true of a show of coyness, shyness, or maiden, maidenly modesty. A man will accept almost any degree of such ruses, while another woman will work more doggedly to satisfy herself of the correctness of her opinion. Even when a man is suspicious, he still may be readily tricked. It is infinitely more difficult to succeed with a trick before a suspicious woman. The obvious answer <laughs> is, don't do anything to make the woman suspicious. He also points out that women's accessories, like their makeup and purse, give them more opportunities for hiding devices. But he also, he warns against women using some of the tricks that he developed for men, because those actions might, the actions required to mask those, might be considered unfeminine like, say, lighting someone else's cigarette. And that sounds a little sexist, but it's actually probably true for the time, you know, where uh, it would seem unwomanly for a woman to, or maybe a little forward for a woman well, to offer the, the, the whole, cigarette. The whole point is to not cause undue attention to yourself. Doing anything that's outside of the, the normal behavior for the day, well, there you go, you know? Right. Uh, in his uh, second work, Recognition Signals, Mulholland describes different ways strangers who need to communicate without talking might signal their presence. These included K-9 
carrying a package and even like how you tape the package or wrap or tie the package up. He made diagrams of different ways to use tape or, you know, a string to communicate different messages, uh, how somebody might organize the pins in their front coat or shirt pack pocket, assuming they're a nerd who carries pins in their pocket. Like three pins and means you're even, up for anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even how people lace their shoes. He had diagrams for different uh, ways that you might lace your shoes to communicate information. You know, so the idea is not necessarily that people would talk, but different ways that two people might signal things to one another without actually doing so overtly. MK Ultra was ended in the 60s. Uh, Gottlieb concluded, quote, it has become increasingly obvious over the last several years that the general area of biological and chemical control of human behavior has less and less relevance to current complex operations. On the scientific side, these materials and techniques are too unpredictable in their effect on individual human beings to be operationally useful. So, you know, they they killed MKUltra, uh, partly because they started to realize, hey, we could get in trouble for this, um, and, and partly because Gottlieb finally, after like 10 years, admitted that it was stupid. <laughs> you know, there wasn't much operational potential from dosing people with LSD. And we'll definitely cover Sidney Gottlieb at some point, but yeah, he was obsessed with mind control and was convinced that the solution to it was acid. Um, in 1973, um, Richard Helms had almost all of the records of MK Ultra destroyed. Uh, for nearly 25 years, the story, the uh, deception manuals, were nearly forgotten until a well-researched article by magic historian Michael Edwards appeared in Genii Magazine in 2001. A follow-up August 2003 piece by Richard Kaufman in Genii and a biography of Mulholland by magician Ben Robinson was published in late 2008 under the title Ma Magician with CIA capitalized in Magician. John Mulholland's Secret Life. So basically, you know, this manual was commissioned, both of these two manuals were commissioned by Gottlieb, and Mulholland worked with the CIA until uh, he wasn't able to in 1958. And then once MKUltra was nixed and everything was burned, it was forgotten. And a lot of CIA agents, like there were, rumors about the manuals but so few people had seen them that they didn't know for sure and so it was just kind of like a uh, like a myth among cia officers you know like oh i heard that they have <laughs> they have this these manuals that they hired a magician to write and a lot of agents didn't believe that they existed and then people started finding uh, actual references to them and other CIA documents that were declassified. And then in 2007, H. Keith Melton, the uh, author of 
the official CIA manual of trickery and deception was pouring through CIA CIA records for something else completely unrelated, and he came across a like re, like an overly xeroxed, degraded copy of both of these manuscripts, which you could imagine if you like you know you're a CIA researcher and you know that there are rumors that this exists, and then all of a sudden you find them. He probably <laughs> crapped his pants. But yeah, when they found them, they were like poorly Xeroxed. They couldn't read a lot of it because, you know, the words were um, old and illegible. But yeah, so now we have the manual, thanks to H. Keith Melton, who's written a lot of books on uh, CIA history, and he likes to focus on like the spycraft, the technical side of things. Um, He's written a bunch of books like uh, U.S. Government Guide to Surviving Terrorism, compiled from official U.S. government documents, Spy's Guide, Office Espionage, The Ultimate Spy Book, CIA Special Weapons and Equipment, Spy Devices of the Cold War, Spy University, and Detective Academy. So, you know, this kind of this guy's wheelhouse. Um, it's an interesting read. It's an interesting piece of the CIA's history. Um, so, you know, if you're into that the way we are, then you might check it out. Um, we obviously just skimmed through it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. When you get into the actual manuals, the manuscripts written by uh, Mulholland, it's a little dry. <laughs> um, but there's some interesting stuff in there. It's also a nice little um, period piece that gives you some insight into how people thought in that uh, in that era. So yeah, that's the CIA manual of trickery and deception. And um, I'm interested can, in reading where, some other Where can CIA we find manuals. it? Where are you posting um, it? Well, like I said, well, um, well, you can get the book on Amazon or, you know, wherever you order books. It's still in print. Um, like I said before, we'll have the link up on the website where you can download a digital copy for free. And, um, yeah, I've been looking at um, other, you can find other declassified CIA manuals online. I've got some that I've been watching on eBay that I've been scared to actually buy because they're like CIA manual on improvised explosion explosive devices and stuff. I'm like, I'm curious to read that, but I'm also I don't want to end up on, you know, an NSA watch list. Of course we're already on it, aren't we, NSA? Yeah. Know you're listening. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned yeah, Abe and Fascination Gun. They heard of Fascination and Gun and, <laughs> and the yeah. other clicks. They're on us now. If you're listening, go ahead and subscribe. NSA officers, CIA officers, do us a solid and subscribe. <laughs> you know, we could really use the listener numbers. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not fair if you listen and don't subscribe. That is true. We don't mind you listening at all. Move. I mean, yeah, it's one thing if you just listen to one episode and, you know, you're like, okay, that was all right, but I don't feel like subscribing. That's fine. But if you're listening regularly, subscribe. Maybe even give us a, a a review, a rating. I'd love to get a rating from an NSA officer or a CIA officer. Um, 
I'd be really interested to see what they have to say. And uh, same thing for you guys, all you civilian listeners out there. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. We love it. It really helps us out. And um, you can follow us on our socials, uh, twitter.com, at CIA Files Podcast. Instagram, at CIA Files. Facebook.com slash CIA Files. And, of course, I mentioned our lovely website, ciafiles.net. And I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, give it one more mention to our upcoming project, The Rise of Mammon wherein we try to document the rise of uh, radical right-wing Christian authoritarianism. Um, what I've come, I've started calling them nationalist Christians, uh, but you can also call them Nazis for short. Uh, did you get it? You get that? Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Nazis. It sounds like Nazis. Yeah. But well, it sounds like uh, Southern. Uh, the Nazis. Nazis. Yeah. So um, that's a big concern. Uh, I don't want to get into that now because we're about out of time. But yeah, so keep a lookout for that. And thanks again for listening. And, uh, you know, keep your bellies full. Keep your head on a swivel. Uh, watch out for bad stuff, I guess. I don't know. I'm out of steam. Out of steam. <sighs> All right. Well, you guys have a good day. Had a good week. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. <laughs>